0: Have you ever uh, given or received the silent treatment? Oh, yeah. Ever had that before? We, we talked about having an older brother last week, and, and if you had siblings, you, you know what it's like to get the silent um, treatment from them. Um, if you are a parent, you wish your children would play that game a little more often, Right? Could you just be quiet, please, for a few minutes? Uh, but when that happens from God, when God plays the, gives us the silent treatment, it is, um, it is not fun at all. For 400 years, the people of Israel had been looking for God, searching for God, waiting for God, listening for God, because they thought that he was giving them the silent treatment. And part of the reason for that is because from the very beginning, from Genesis 1-1, God spoke. And over and over through Scripture, He spoke to people. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis says that He walked in the garden in the cool of the day and spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac and, and Jacob spoke directly to them. He had conversations with Moses in the tent of meeting with the prophet Samuel and Elijah. And lastly, he spoke to the prophet Malachi. Here's some of what God said to the people of Israel through the prophet Malachi. He said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. Now, when the Israelite people heard that from Malachi, they got all excited because they remembered what it was like when the Spirit of God came into the tabernacle after Moses built it. And after Solomon constructed the temple proper in Jerusalem, the presence of God filled the temple, and they were excited because they were thinking about how wonderful and glorious that was. And Malachi says from God, Look, one day, one day, the messenger will come and prepare the way and then the Lord is going to come into his temple. And it was an exciting moment. He also said this through, through Malachi, that he was going to send the prophet Elijah before the Lord, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And, and what God said to the prophet Malachi was really, really important. Because after the prophet Malachi, God stopped talking just stopped. After a few thousand years of God's interaction with his people, (laughs) all talking to all these people directly and and through the prophets, through the priests, through the kings, all of a sudden there's 400 years of silence. And so in, in biblical history, there was not a prophet, a priest, or a king to whom God spoke after the prophet Malachi. Until we get to the New Testament, and in this case, for today, into the Gospel of Luke. And the writer of the Gospel of Luke, a guy named Luke, Luke the physician, tells us about an unsuspecting priest nearing the end of his service, which means he was getting too old to serve in the temple. And we're told about this this man. After 400 years of silence, Luke says, there's this dude named Zechariah, and here's what happened. Um, Let me just ask you this. Do you know what it's like to, to not, somebody knows what it's like to not hear from God? Troublemaker. Do you know what it's like to not hear from God? In, in, your, in your prayer time, reading your Bible, studying, have you ever felt like like God just wasn't there? Like, I, like I'm praying, I'm, I'm reading, I'm, I'm going to church. God, where are you? I'm not, I'm not hearing you. I, I've had those moments before where it felt like as I was praying, like the words of my prayer were just kind of going up about to the ceiling and then falling back down. That is not a pleasant Feeling, we don't we don't like the way um, that feels. When God is silent in our lives, it's tempting to think that God maybe has just moved on, right? That that maybe my sin was just too much. Like God finally kind of uncovered that last stone, and and now He knows the truth about who I am, and so like he's just done. My my sin, my shame, it's just too much for God. And so, and so God just, God just taps out. I I just, like, I can't work with this person. And that's kind of how it feels sometimes when, when God is silent, when we want God to show up, when we're waiting for God to show up, to tell us what to do, to, to give us some direction. And we just don't feel like that's coming. Then we begin to feel like we have messed up. We've, blown it. My sin is too great. My shame, this is my past, and God can't get past it. But I want you to know something about God, and, and that's that God is not a give up or give in God. Um, what did your parents say when you, when you were a kid? Uh, the word can't ain't in the dictionary. Uh, probably didn't say that because they also said ain't not in the dictionary, which it is now. Young people, you're welcome. Uh, God is not a give up or a give in God. Like, he doesn't understand that concept. Um, He's got a really long game plan, and and we often think God's just, like, he's going to move on, he's going to move to the next person, he's going to move to the next thing, but that's just not how God works. And and so as you look through the Bible, the vast majority of individuals that that God uses to do incredible things— are not people that you and I would probably choose, right? when I mean, you look at their history, you look at okay, what did this person do in their life before God called them to to do whatever, and you go, "Ah, I might have given that person a, a pass, right Because so many of the people that God used in in the Bible they're broken people they're abused people they're repeat offenders. <laughs> The stories of some of those people, like, you're like, are you not going to get it? Like, come on. (laughs) Some of them were into some pretty sketchy stuff. Some of them drank too much. Some of them talked too much. Some of them were way more used to being in court than being in church. But God doesn't give up or give in. And so when God says he's going to do something, he does it. When God says he's going to use somebody, he uses them. When God calls someone, like he's all in with that person, even if it takes 400 years. So today, we're kicking off a brand new message series um, called The King Has Come. And we're going to look at the interactions between God's angels and God's people as God finally breaks this 400 years of silence and begins fulfilling prophecies that some are thousands of years old where Jesus is concerned. And so remember, the Jews at the time of Luke writing this, at the time of Jesus' birth, they only have ancient stories from their grandparents, great-grandparents, about God. Right, When you think of all the things that God did, and and sometimes we read through the Bible, we just got through um, going through a series talking about Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. There were some really incredible things that God did among the people when he parted the waters and and that the walls of Jericho fell outward as the people marched around the city. Some really big things that God did. And yet the people that are alive that Luke is writing to, they only have stories ancient stories, stories that were hundreds of of years old. And and even here in in America, where we feel like we've got a pretty good handle on history, we understand that it's really easy to rewrite history when you're separated from it for a long time. So I think the people that Luke are, are writing to, like they've kind of been waiting for these promises to be fulfilled, but they also have begun to think, that maybe all of those stories that grandma and grandpa told me were just stories. That maybe those things really didn't happen. Maybe, maybe the parting of the, of the sea and, and maybe the pillar of cloud and, and fire and the, the walls of Jericho falling outward, maybe those were just allegories for something, something else. Maybe they didn't really happen because we haven't seen anything like that for a really long time. So the people of God, the Jewish people, they're they're going through the motions of of faith. Like they know the stories, they know what's expected, they've they've got the the Torah, the the law from from God. They're going through the motions, but they're really not growing anywhere. They're doing what God has told them to do because that's what mom and dad said to do. And and, and because the Torah said, if, if you've got a child who's unruly and doesn't do what they're supposed to, well, kill him, <laughs> which is pretty good incentive uh, for some. So, I, you know, they kind of did what they were supposed to do, but it was just like they're going through the motions here. And I really think that at least is part of the case for this guy named Zachariah. And so I, I'm going to let Luke kind of fill in uh, the story here as, as we begin. Here's what he says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He was of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of of Aaron. Now, um, Abijah is a son down the ancestral line line of, of Aaron. So, in order to be a priest... In the Jewish temple, you had to come from the line of Aaron, and so he had all these sons, and they had to keep very good track of that. And so both Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, are part of this priestly tribe of people that came from Aaron. And Aaron, if you remember, is the older brother of Moses who led the people out of Egypt. So her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now Luke tells us, I think it's important, Luke tells us that this couple was like a, um, they were like a spiritual super couple. Right? Kind of reminds me of um, what we talked about Daniel a few weeks ago. Like there's no indication that Daniel ever did anything wrong. And it's the same with Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. Like, they just did, they were blameless. They were righteous before God. Ritually speaking, they did everything that they were supposed to do. Everything right. And I don't want to get hung up on, on this. Um, so just kind of let this think, like, just take this with you. Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were pretty great people but they had not received the thing for which they prayed the most for. So again, we go back to, well, man, if I just follow Jesus, if I just give my life to Christ and do the right thing and show up in church and put a little money in the offering plate, God's gonna bless me and he's gonna give me all the things I want and it's just gonna be great life. Well, it's not the case for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and I know that, that some of you Here at Real Life, and maybe some of you joining us online, you feel the pain of Zechariah and Elizabeth because you have prayed for a child and the child hasn't come. You know the struggle of that. And you begin to go, God, aren't I doing everything right? Am I missing something? Do I need to go something? Do I need to do something else? So we struggle with that. Here's what Luke goes on to say. While Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, the the children of of Aaron, this um, priestly tribe, again, you had to be from the tribe of Aaron if you were going to serve as a priest in the temple. Now, they were broken up into groups, divisions, and those divisions served at different times during the year. There always had to be priests. There always had to be people in. You had to be a priest from Aaron to make a a sacrifice on the altar. So the burnt offerings. You had to be a priest to do that. You had to be a priest in order to go into the temple. And every day in the temple, the incense had to be changed. And the bread on the table had to be changed. And the, the oil had to be added to the lampstand to keep it burning all the time. And so there were all of these duties. And you had to be a priest in order to fulfill some of those duties. And so you have the priestly tribe that come from the line of of Aaron, and then you also have the tribe of Levites who were from the line of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and the Levites helped the priests. So they did the cleaning and things like that, they organized things, but you had to be a priest from the line of Aaron if you were gonna serve in the priestly role within the temple. So Zechariah's division gets called up, and he's going to serve in the temple. And the way that they determined who was going to do what every day in the temple was they cast lots. And the closest thing I can use to help you understand what a lot is, is, um, is really sacrilegious. So basically, um, they shot craps for who was going to do what in the in the temple? That's kind of how it was. So, the priest had the, uh, um, lots, which an urim and a, and, a, and a thummim, and they would use these to determine what God's will is. and And so they would do this; they would cast lots to figure out who was supposed to do what from God in the temple that day. Um, these roles that the people, the priests, were supposed to do there was very specific. Rules about every single thing that was done, there were specific times it was to be done, specific ways in which it was to be done, uh, specific things that you had to go through in order to prepare yourself to do the specific thing that needed to be like There was just rules on rules on rules. The most important role each day, though, according to Mark Moore in his commentary on the chronological life of Christ. He says it was the duty of trimming the menorah, the seven um candled lampstand, lamp and also preparing the incense that would burn either all night or then all day until the next crew, the next division came in. So a priest would probably only get the chance to perform this duty, to, to take care of the incense or take care of the, the lampstand. A priest would probably only get the opportunity to perform this duty one time in his life if he were fortunate enough to get called by Lot to do that. Zechariah, we know, is an old man. He has waited his entire life to get to go into the temple and perform this task of putting the incense on the altar. Um, This was kind of like the Uh, Super Bowl for priests, except it was more like the Super Bowl and the World Series and uh, some NASCAR race, I don't care about, all rolled into one. (laughs) Sorry, NASCAR fans. They just go around in a circle. Uh, It's a big deal, right? And so they, they, it was nerve wracking. It was nerve wracking. Um, and, and so Zechariah, when he gets chosen to go in and to do the altar of incense, it's, it's like, I'm really excited because I get to do this. I get to walk for the first time probably, again, in his life. He would get to walk into the temple of, of God, and, and he got to choose a couple friends or family members, relatives, priestly tribe to go in um, with him, but it was also incredibly terrifying because Zechariah knew the stories. If you were not ritually pure, if you were not sexually pure, if you were not mentally pure, if you were not physically pure, and you walked into the temple, you died. Boom. End of story. That's it. And it happened before. In fact, when the high priest would walk in, the priests would go in to do their duty in the temple, um, they would wear bells on their, uh, the bottoms of their robes, And if you heard the bells, you knew that the priest was still alive. And if the bell stopped ringing, then you would go, "Uh, he did something wrong and he's dead. And then you would grab the rope that was tied around his waist and you would literally pull him out of the temple. Who wants to sign up for that job? If you weren't, Pure as you went into the temple because you were going to be in the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was the physical representation of the presence of God with the people of Israel. And if you weren't pure when you walked in there, you could just die. Not because God hated you. It's not like that. It's because God is holy. It's like getting too close to the sun. You get too close to the sun, you die. That's just the way it is. So Zechariah would choose two other people to go into the temple. The three of them would enter together. The first one's job would be to clean all of the ashes, the incense, and the coals off the top of the altar, uh, put them in a a container, um, say the ritual prayer or whatever that they were supposed to do, and then um, with his bag of trash would back out of the temple like this bowed, would back out all the way out the doors of the temple because you could not turn your back on God. And so they would, they would back out of the temple. Then the next guy would step up to do his duty and he would take uh, uh, coals. from the altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar that was out in the courtyard. He would take coals from that, he would bring it into the temple, and he would arrange them on top of the now cleaned off altar of incense. He would say his ritual prayers, he would worship, and then he would back out of the temple. That left Zachariah in the temple by himself that day. Now, um, If you would like to to know what the temple looks like, maybe you just don't have that memorized, Uh, in the message notes, reallifecc.us, if you click on the blue icon that says My Message Notes, there is a diagram of the temple in the notes of the message today, and you can kind of see what that looks like. Part of the reason that this was so scary is because the altar of the incense was placed against the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The difference between the two was on the other side of the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, again, the physical representation of God's presence. The only person that ever saw the Ark of the Covenant in the temple was the high priest who would enter the temple once a year with the bells on and the rope tied around his waist. And he would go into the temple after being ritually cleaned and all of these things and procedures and rules he had to follow And then he'd go into the temple and he would place blood on the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, to cover the nation for the sins for another year. And if everything went well, he got to to walk out. And so as Zechariah is standing there, taking the incense that he had brought in and arranging it on the hot coals of of the altar, just a few feet from him on the other side of this curtain was the presence of God. And he knew it. So he's nervous. While he's standing there alone in the the temple, doing his best to remember exactly what he had been instructed about how to do what he is in doing, laying the incense on the altar, he was thinking only about the incense because he didn't want to mess it up. Like he didn't want to die, right? Right. And and so he's thinking about the incense. The incense represented the prayers of the people that went out to God. And he was thinking about that and he was thinking about getting out um, alive. And so here's what happens next. The whole multitude of the people, because it was afternoon prayer time, so there's a bunch of people in the temple. They were all praying outside at the hour of, of incense. So they knew when the priest would enter the temple and put the new incense on. Have you ever watched um, the choosing of a new pope, the Catholic Church when I do that, and the people fill the Vatican courtyard there, and what do they watch for? The smoke, right? It's, um, oh, there's a, there's a poem, and I, for, I forgot it. But anyway, it's white smoke, I think, if they find a pope and black smoke, they don't. Anyway, that's kind of what would happen. So the people would be outside in the courtyard of the, of the temple, outside of the temple compound. They would be watching for the smoke of the incense to begin rising after the altar had been cleaned off. And when the smoke began to rise out of the, out of the temple, they would begin to pray. Then the priest would back out of the doors of the temple and everything would be okay. So this is what's going on. While Zechariah is in there, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. no indication of how long he had been there. He could have been there the whole time. We don't know. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, here's, here's Zechariah. Get this picture in your head. Here's Zechariah, terrified that he might do something wrong in putting the incense on the, on the altar and then not make it home to his wife, which was a big deal because it was just the two of them, right? They didn't have any children. And then suddenly, while he's doing his duty there, he realizes that there's an angel standing. And most of the time, when an angel shows up, you, you know. You know they're there, and you know it's an an angel. So now Zechariah is even more scared. Remember, God has not talked to anybody for 400 years. And the people began thinking, maybe God's not ever gonna talk to anybody again. And then all of a sudden, there's an, an angel. No one alive at the time can remember the last time that God spoke to anyone or sent an angel to anyone. And so this is brand new to Zechariah and to the people. Um, I think think that there were those, and maybe Zechariah, hopefully Zechariah wasn't one of them, again, who probably felt like this was just a fairy tale. Like somebody just made up all these rules and regulations to try and control the people. Maybe they begin to think, like, All that stuff that my grandparents told me about, it didn't happen. And maybe all the stuff they're saying is going to happen isn't going to happen. And then an angel appears. And the angel says what angels always say. Whenever you um, read that, the angel says, uh, do not be afraid. The literal translation of that is stop being afraid. You ever told one of your children that? Did it work? No. <laughs> no. And it, and it never works in the story either. When an angel shows up, they are terrifying because they're big. And obviously, like, it. listen, I'm just telling you, if an angel shows up to you, you will be afraid. And the angel will say, stop being afraid. And you're going to go, nope. Like, can't do it. This is just the way it is. And so Zachariah is, is terrified. the angel says, "Stop being afraid." He's like, "No, I'm going to do it. I, I didn't help." And then the next thing that, that I think Zachariah pr- probably, probably heard, probably registered, was what the angel says here: "Your prayer has been heard." And I really, really hope that the angel paused after he said that. Because I can just see Zechariah standing there, you know, he's, everything is perfect. He's getting the altar and he sees the angel, oh my goodness. And, and he's like, ah, I'm afraid. And, and, and then the angel says, your prayer has been heard. And Zechariah's like, ooh, which prayer? Because this morning I prayed for a new camel. And so maybe it's that, maybe it's that one. Um, or when I go home next week, I also prayed that my wife would make me a mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Because those are my favorite. And maybe that's the one uh, that he's talking about. Uh, Or I also need some new crocs. Uh, And so maybe that's the prayer that the angel is talking about. And so I really hope the angel paused and gave Zachariah some time to think about which prayer was going to be answered. But I will just guarantee you this. Whatever was going through his mind, what the angel actually says, the prayer that's going to be answered, was the last thing the Zachariah would have, would have thought. Zachariah, the one prayer that years ago you stopped praying. The, the one prayer that I guarantee you at this moment while you're trying to be as pure as possible standing in the presence of God, the one prayer that you're not thinking about you get it wink wink nudge nudge with me okay that's the prayer that God is going to answer Elizabeth your wife is going to have a son and Zachariah's like uh what so here's what he says in verse 18 uh how shall I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in in years Hey, Zechariah, the prayer that you prayed is going to be answered. It's the last prayer you would think was going to be answered because that ship sailed a long time ago. But look, when you get home at the end of your duty, (laughs) there's some duty to do with your wife. And she may not believe you when you get home. Guys, just try that today when you get home. Um, Listen, honey, I was at church today. And the angel appeared to me and told me that we got some business to do. (laughs) You're welcome. Hey, listen, if God said it, I don't know how we argue with that. Okay, anyway. Zechariah had long forgotten about that prayer that he and Elizabeth prayed for so long. In fact, um, he and Elizabeth had determined a long time ago that God was just not interested in answering that prayer or giving them a child. And my guess is they probably felt like maybe they were unworthy. Maybe they had done something wrong, that, that God would, would not give them a child. Maybe for some reason God was keeping this particular blessing from them. And, and since God had not answered their prayer at least not answered it in, in, in their mind, and, and certainly not answered it in reality because she had not gotten pregnant all those years. Um, and because they had long passed the age of the possibility of bearing children, they had simply abandoned that prayer. And the reality is that you and I do the same thing, but it usually doesn't take us that long. Like, I want to pray a prayer, and if God doesn't answer it that day, <laughs> moving on to something else. Well, I guess God's just not going to do it. If we pray a prayer and we feel like God doesn't respond to us, we just kind of give up. We move on. We determine God's answer is no, and so we stop asking. Too often in, in our prayer life, we move on from what God hasn't moved on. We move on from our prayers, the things that we believe God has called us to before he has come to the place where he begins to move on that thing. Whatever reason we give, we just stop asking. We give up. But over and over in the Bible, humanity does this same thing. (laughs) We give up before God shows up. Abraham and and Sarah, who also had a baby when they were very old, were in this very position. Mary and Martha, after their brother Lazarus was sick and and died, gave up. The apostles, when they ran out of food out in the countryside with the 5,000 men and all the other um, people who were listening to Jesus speak, they gave up. Like, There's no way that this is ever going to happen. Too often in our lives, we hear no when God is really just saying, not now. And so we move on from a prayer that God hasn't moved on yet. And and Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, according to the angel, like they weren't just going to have a son like they had prayed for. Their son was going to fulfill the promise and the prophecy that God made so many years ago through the prophet Malachi. He was going to be God's messenger who would prepare the nation of Israel and then the world for the coming of King Jesus. John was going to be the new Elijah, the person that the Israelite people have been waiting for for hundreds of years, who would turn the hearts of the people back to God and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There are two things that I think stunted Zacharias faith in, in this story. The, the first is that he had given up on prayer because he couldn't understand God's process. In, in, his, in his mind, in reality, physically, we're, we're too old. It can't be done. God's walked away, given up. Maybe it's our sin, maybe something else, but it's not going to happen. The second thing that stunted his growth was that he replaced his personal devotion to God with his priestly duty he decided that doing what he thought God wanted him to do was of greater importance than his devotion. And and what happens when we get those things twisted around is that we just go through the motions. We just do the things that we think God wants us to do, but there's no relationship there. There's no growth there. There's no back and forth there. Now, these things weren't sin for Zechariah and Elizabeth. We, We know that because... Because Luke tells us they were righteous and blameless before God. But these things had kept Zechariah from seeing that God was working even when God wasn't visible. God didn't wait for 400 years in silence because he didn't care. He waited for 400 years because that was the plan. That was the process. That was the right thing to do. He didn't disregard Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. He just didn't fulfill it on their timeline. Jesus would say this later, it's not for us to know the times and the seasons that God has prepared in advance. But when God does reveal his plan, the question is, will you respond with reluctance like Zechariah? Or will you respond in reliance like Mary? Who we're going to look at next week, and so um, let me just ask you: Is there a prayer that you have stopped praying because you felt like God's not listening, God's not answering? I'm past the time; it's not going to happen; it's not going to work. I'm just going to give up. Is is there a is there a duty, an act of service? part of your worship that has replaced devotion. And and so instead of spending time with God and talking to God and listening for God, you just do these things that need to be done. After Zachariah talked with the angel and and says, in, in, in reluctance says, how's this gonna happen? Um, I, I, think, I think part of the reason that happens is because remember, Zechariah is a priest. He, he knows, like verbatim, he knows the Torah. He's memorized. It. He's standing in the temple of God and he knows the stories about what's gone on in that temple. And an angel of God is standing there telling this. Like there are plenty of reasons for you just to go, yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir, it's going to happen. But because Zechariah responds with reluctance, there is discipline that comes from God through the angel. And so just like God had been silent with the people for 400 years, Zechariah is going to be silent, unable to speak, maybe unable to hear for the next 40 weeks or so. When we respond in fear instead of faith, there's discipline from God. Because what God understands is that we're not trusting him like we should. And God isn't a give up or a give in God. So he's like, why don't you trust me? And so our response should always be a response of faith. Because when God's ready, we can fully rely on him. To be faithful to his word, to be faithful to his promises. And and so what have you moved on from that maybe God just hasn't moved on yet? Whatever that is, don't get discouraged. Don't replace devotion to God with some duty for God. Keep your eyes open. What's God's doing around you? so that you can see where and how God is working and then join him in complete and total faith that he who began a good work will also see it through to completion. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you that we don't have to rely on angel messengers anymore or or prophets or priests we get to talk to you directly. So Father, we thank you for that. And and would you forgive us for the times like Zechariah that we have given up on our prayer. And and, and really God, when we give up on prayer, we're giving up on you. We're saying, I don't think God can or will do this. But Father, we wanna be a people of faith. We wanna respond in faith. We wanna respond to things that we are unable to accomplish on our own in complete reliance on you because we trust that you can do anything. And so there is never a point in our lives where where things can't turn around, where you can't get involved, where you can't change hearts and organize situations and, and turn things seem one way, maybe impossible, into making a way for it to become possible. You are a God of possibility, and so help help us to walk in reliance on you and in complete faith in you. And God, if there are those who have walked away or given up on their prayers today, would you draw them back into that conversation? And for those of us who have maybe replaced duty with devotion, would you help us to focus on the real thing, the most important thing, the the thing that Mary was criticized for um, by Martha, her sister, and that's just to be in your presence, to worship and learn from you. So Father, would you be with us this week? Help us to walk in faith, help us to not give up, Help us to to remember always that you are not a give up or give in, God. Thank you, God, for being a great and a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.